0: You, touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. God is change.
1: Hello everyone. This is Octavia's Parables, our deep dive, chapter by chapter exploration of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, Parable of the Talents. Uh, this is Adrienne Marie Brown.
2: And this is Toshi Regan.
1: And we are so excited to be moving through this work with you. So excited by how many of you are in reading groups and posting online that you are waiting with bated breath every Monday morning for the release of this podcast. Um, it really matters to us that folks are listening and finding it useful and, um, and that folks are donating and making it possible for us to keep doing this at this pace. Um, during the pandemic, because there's a lot happening right now. Um, yeah. In terms of Octavia B. E. Butler-related network and universe news, um, we just wanted to keep uplifting that there is a graphic novel of the parable of the sower that was put out by Damien Duffy and John Jennings. And it's another really beautiful way to experience um, the parable stories And we mentioned this sort of in the middle of the last episode, but Toshi and I both participated in a conference called the Allied Media Conference, which is a deeply Octavia influenced space in general. And um, I did the opening with Chani Nicholas and my sister Autumn Brown. And then Toshi Regan did the closing ceremony with Ruby Sales and Leah Peniman, and absolutely gorgeous space. So just want to invite y'all, those are up on YouTube. If you search Allied Media Conference, you can see ways that Octavia's seeds have, have flown far. So here we are. Now we're deep in the middle of the book. We're really in the heart of it. And this is chapter 12. And Toshi, will you start us off with some Earthseed?
2: Yes, we are Earthseed the life that perceives itself changing. Earthseed, the books of the living, Saturday, November 14th, 2026.
1: And this is a really big chapter. And as we're, I'm trying to remember to make sure we do for each episode is just giving the trigger warning, content warning, grief warning, reality warning. Um, It's all happening here. So, in Chapter 12, you know, last, last chapter, we started to really understand about Olivar, this company town slash debt, debt enslavement strategy that the community was being impacted by. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what happens in Chapter 12, Toshi?
2: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, last chapter, uh, lots of, of uh, community people, in particular, um, the Garfields, which um, is probably the closest family to the Alaminas, they have applied to go and they get admitted to Mm Olivar, and this is such a big deal. Um, there's another family that also applies, but this family is, is, it is such a big deal. And it is, you know, that thing when people start to leave something that has been created. Um, and there's, uh, you know, another conversation about, uh, Between Lauren and Joanne and, you know, they had kind of a falling out uh, because Joanne told on Lauren when Mm -hmm. Lauren was trying to uplift her to the truth. But now now there has been some like, you know, (laughs) growth and Joanne's like, yo, things are terrible, like they're horrible. And, um, you know, once again, Lauren really tries to illuminate like another possibility other than going. And Joanne makes a statement that it's a better fortress than the one that they have. Right. And, you know, and so that she's just hopeful that, you know, and and the part that I really love is, Lauren's like, you're going to be living in an apartment, you know, like, yeah. you're not gonna, you know, have this, this food, this fresh food in a backyard and trees. And, you know, I just think that's so meaningful, like yeah. that Lauren grew up, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, um, in
1: touch with the land. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: you get to hear some of the relationships that are going to be changed that Joanne was with um Harry and uh, Harry um is the Walter family and they were you know fell in love with each other and Harry refuses to go um because he he really believes what Reverend Olamina says yeah. and he's just not gonna live that kind of life
0: don't let your baby go don't let your baby go to umm Don't let your baby go, don't let your baby go to Oliver It's a company town for the big two-five. You might make this choice to stay alive. Cause you're tired of the violence and you're tired of the paints. You're tired of having to guard your own gate. And you're looking and you're sweating for whatever seems safe. You got nothing you think, so you give it away. You got nothing to lose, so you pack up and go. Next thing you see, the armor guard's at your... they smile when they greet you and they shake your hand and for five precious minutes you think you're the man but then something deep inside says this you can't trust but you grab your bag and you pick up your stuff your wife and no dog and two smart kids just look at you sideways to see what you did now
2: and then you start to things just start to really deteriorate around them. Um, and we get uh, Reverend Alamina not returning home. That's uh, And this is a just a very, very, very big and telling sign for the community. Mix that with people starting to try to leave. Um, Reverend Alamina has really been the center um you know, I, I always called him the unofficial mayor and the kind of spiritual right. center of the community is a, a place to go when you didn't have no place. You know, you could show up at the Sunday service since behind the wall. And um, so this is a, a really devastating turn for the community.
1: Yeah, this is huge. And I feel like this is one of the things, like there's different places where violence takes on different shaping. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that I feel I think has become common in our current events, but it has been common at different periods over time is that someone just goes missing Mm -hmm. or certain people just go missing and you don't know where they are. And I think about women in Mexico. I think about indigenous women in Canada. I think about children all throughout the U.S. I think about you know, to me, this is one of the ways that slavery and violence really gets supported is that the strategy is disappearance rather than out and out war. Mm-hmm. So I think about that with Lauren's father going missing. I also think about the experience of having to say goodbye to people that you don't get to see transition.
2: That's and
1: right. how, how to do that. Or, you know, and I think COVID has required that for a lot of people is, having to let go of people who disappear into a hospital or disappear from view. And we don't know where they are. Mm. We can't touch them. We can't hold them. We can't Mm. do the rituals that we're used to. And um, I feel like that is happening here where it's like, he's gone. And immediately there's a sense of like, Oh, he's gone. And they're searching for him, but it doesn't, you know, after Joanne has spoken about the hopelessness in Robledo, that hopelessness has a tinge over this whole chapter as they're searching for her father without a real sense that he will be found.
2: Yeah, it is. It it truly is. And I guess like that's the new wave of ritual, isn't it? Like, you know, when they went and searched for Keith and then they try all of the things, okay, let's, you know, pay for the police to do something and let's, you know, do this, you know, and then let's just go as much as we can. And and it becomes this community ritual because you take note of who joined the search and who didn't. Yes. You yes. know. You know, Marcus um ends up going with Lauren on the search and he's not the age that Reverend Alamina would allow someone to yeah. go outside, but she's she's like, No, you're coming with me. And yeah. um and every time they go out they start to see the deterioration. Of the um, yeah, yeah, it's just you know she even just says, uh, "I've never seen more squalor, more human remains, more feral dogs than I saw today," and I have to write, I have to dump this onto paper. I can't keep it inside of me. Seeing the dead has never bothered me before, but this, you know, and exactly yeah, it's it's pretty. uh, I don't know. I don't have no words for it. Um, It's
1: yeah, it's devastating.
2: Yeah. She has this one line as well that I really love, but she's trying to keep Marcus with her. And she says, what is it in young boys that makes them want to wander off alone and get killed? Yes. <laughs> they get two that. chin hairs and they're trying to prove they're men. Uh, it just reminds mm-hmm. me of my, my brother. Like he just, he, he just was off, you know, like so mm-hmm. young. My mom said one time she lost him in the house and she was like looking. He was like two years old or something and he was sitting on the porch looking out.
1: You know, wow. And I, he it's was just like, like I, go I belong out, out
2: here. This is my place. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, and it's I, it is interesting because there's so much in here that's spoken and unspoken about masculinity training and... Mm. Like how boys are being developed, how the girls are being developed, how Lauren is kind of developing herself in absence of, you know, someone who looks at her and says, oh, you should hear, you should have all the survival skills too. Yes. Um And that she kind of takes this on, like, I'm not making that mistake. Like Marcus, this isn't a time of, of adventure or running around and not being responsible. Right. Um, I think she really, we see that she's learned that lesson of of Keith and just is like, you're going to be here with us helping deal with reality. That's how I always interpret this section. And, you know, there's that sense of like going out, not having success, coming back, wrapping themselves up in community, even though it's a temporary comfort at this point. You know, there's that awareness. And then they find something. They find an arm. Uh, Yeah. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, you know, they're um they're looking for him now being dead. They just have yes. kind of accepted that he's if he was alive, he would have found his way back to them. And yeah. so they're accepting that and they're just looking for looking for his body at this point. And then they find uh an arm that feels familiar, like it just you know, it looks like it could be his. It was the father and it's slashed and it's powerful looking. She's just looking at everything, and she's yes. really taking it in. Everybody reacts to this in different yeah. ways. Um, you know, Marcus throws up. He can't. He can't. Um, but she she makes herself examine it, um, yes. and she's looking for something familiar and for certainty. And um, Jay Garfield tries to stop me, and I shoved him away and told him to go to hell. I'm sorry for that and I told him so later but I had to know and yet I still don't know that's the level you know I read that I remember when I read that the first time I was like Lauren Alamina is is really a next level human for me like I would yeah. just you know I just have no and I couldn't I don't have any interest in the whole like let me find the body let me I kind of believe you know, what I know. And I don't like actually need the evidence of it. But I really do understand those, those who do, you know, and that's, that's what she's going for. Yeah.
1: I've always thought this part was a really um, brilliant writing on Octavia's part, because, you know, there's what we think we are like, or what we think we will want to know. And then, and then it's your father, you know, Mm -hmm. or it's like a, you know, it's like, what do I think I would want to know? And then what would I need to know if it was like someone like that to me, someone, you know, who, as we just have had her saying to our brother, like he's the best person in the world to her. And no matter how complicated he is, he's her best person. And how that shifts what we're capable of and what we want to know. And I feel like I've I've heard and seen that from so many people who've had that kind of really intimate major loss that Mm -hmm. it's like, I wanted to smell and see and feel and, and watch everything. I wanted to be there for everything. I want, you know, like people right. who've lost their children, you know, or just like I wanted every single moment of their living and dying was important and I felt greedy for it. And yeah, so I felt that in this, where I'm like, okay, Octavia, like you're showing us that the way Lauren is going to grieve is through this kind of, curiosity and and submitting herself to something that you know it's like she has to learn to be able to handle this
2: for the kind of leadership
1: that she's she's called to and this is how she grieves as well it's like I have to know I have to look
2: yeah I also Mm -hmm. love that you know they take fingerprints Mm -hmm. and they're like you know Mm -hmm. um it made me really love this the community, um, yes. just like their awareness and understanding of where they are and what they, the tools they need to find the answers that they want to find, and they leave that arm where it is, and yeah. they take fingerprints, and then they, then they move on.
1: And the fingerprints, it turns out, it's not his arm, you know, yeah. which I also think is important because it's like somebody's arm somebody's body somebody's grief somebody's loss was closely examined and you know you you have that where it's like oh it wasn't ours and it's still somebody's and like there's no one to pay that level of close attention because that's the world outside us um but it wasn't her father's arm and so then they pivot into this like (laughs) non-funeral period where they're really trying to figure out like how to Mm. honor him and yeah. here she brings a real parable in—not a real parable, but a biblical parable. <laughs> in.
2: yeah, this is like in the. Um, it, it's interesting because when we did the opera, this is a turning point for Lauren. This is a this mm-hmm. is where she um, kind of starts to take an energetic place inside of the community that's missing. Yes. and even though it hasn't been that much that long like time moves really differently yes. and when she sees that everybody's showing up everybody's starting to kind of give you know eulogize in their own way she's like i'm i'm not here for that like i'm that's not what we're going to do and yeah. she um and she preaches yeah so she preaches from Luke chapter 18 verses 1 through 8 and then she preaches through that and then she adds her own Thing and I love the way Octavia wrote this because she's, yes. she's like you know, uh, the the nightmares of mine are our future if we fail one another, and then she says I I started to wind up, yes, <laughs> and I love it, I love yes. everything about the starving starvation agony at the hands of people who aren't human anymore, dismemberment death, um, we have God and we have each other. We have our island community fragile and yet a fortress. Sometimes it seems too small and too weak to survive. And like the window in Christ's parable, its enemies fear neither God nor man, but also like the widow, sorry, it's widow, not window, widow, it persists. Mm -hmm. We persist. This is our place no matter what. And Mm -hmm. it's such an interesting position because she's clearly like, trying to ground everybody
1: exactly she's like can i help y'all understand understand this even though she she's like oh i can really sense this community does not understand this mm -hmm. that we are on borrowed time that we don't have the future you know the stability that you all think we can have or that olivar could provide or any of it it's like yeah all coming out from under us and I think about this so often how faith in some ways operates to assure us of things that are not assurable. And, um, you know, it's like, Oh, like what we really need to do is get in right relationship with the land, but faith will tell us like, you know, just, just believe, and that'll be enough. And I feel like mm-hmm. this is where she's starting to challenge the belief systems of her community. Cause she's like, it's not enough to just believe like, we have to ground, we have to root, we have to choose this. We have to choose each other. Um, yeah. And you can see the little baby baby preacher, baby community responsible leader um, present here. And yes. then I love also, this is a section where Kayla sings, we will not be moved, we shall not be moved. Mm-hmm. And there's this line in here where she says, that was dad's funeral that I was preaching, his and the community's because as much as i want all that i said to be true it isn't we'll all, mm-hmm. we'll be moved all right it's just a matter of when by whom and in how many pieces and that really brought present for me like how often we declare things that we're like i really hope that this is the case <laughs> you know i really hope that we shall not be moved or i really hope that we shall overcome or i really hope you know i want to i want to cast the spell of us doing that Um, but then I feel like so often what Lauren does is say, like, actually change is going to come and we won't be in charge of that change. And here's the wisdom I have to offer into that. But this feels like one of those crux moments where she's like, oh, I'm looking at my community and I can feel that something else is coming that I'm not prepared for. And that I've got to try to grieve my father inside of, inside of (laughs) all of it, you know?
2: Yes, Absolutely. And I, I think a couple of things. One is I think that she's entering into this particular conversation where things are really fracturing. And so yes. I feel this is her attempt. Like people, some people are like, I'm applying for all our, and I'm a, so this whole, their togetherness mm-hmm. is suffering. And so yes. I think she's like, even if, even if we have to do something else, it's we, if we're together, it's going to be an an opportunity where we can do it. Even yep. if I have to, you know, be like okay y'all we packing up and leaving tomorrow like exactly. even if we have to try something else if I can hold the togetherness if I can you know kind of scoop people up into the the strength of our community which is our yeah. like functional togetherness then we have a better opportunity and I love the song we shall not be moved and I mm. love that you brought up we shall overcome mm-hmm. you know because those are those are, you know, two really powerful songs used in the uh, civil rights, southern freedom movement. Yes. And one, We Shall Overcome, you know, my godfather Pete Seeger changed yes. the song to We Shall Overcome, but it was I'll Overcome. And yes. and it's I'll, I'll overcome someday deep in my heart. If I do not yield, I'll overcome. And yes. to me, that's like transportation song. That means like at any moment in your life for mm-hmm. any particular reason, you can I'll overcome. You know, yeah. it's a it's an a, a personal declaration and yes. we shall, um, which is still powerful, but it shifts it into a movement um position. And yes. I whenever I'm asked to sing this song with a group of people, um people, you know, people are sometimes looking for their place in it. And I'm yeah. like, you know, think of it as right now, you know, don't think yes. that you're singing something from a museum, but think of yes. it as like, you know, a current. we still in partic- this work.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Well, not only that, but like a new day is, is com- you know, we are living yes. different days. And so don't, what do yeah. you need to overcome? Is this song providing you the tools? Like, uh, yeah. and we is, we encompasses, right? You have to look around and say who we are. I'll means like you can be by yourself. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
2: And you can declare yourself, which I love I songs. And then we shall not be moved. I really was like, Octavia is so deep. And in the show, when we do this, and I I think you maybe even witnessed this, sometimes people start singing with us in the audience. Exactly. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes Adrian does that too. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they to get hyped and they're like, "We shall yeah. not. We shall not be moved." And then I break into the whole thing because the next thing is Olivar. And exactly, you know. And so it's so amazing, mm-hmm. the chem- the chemistry, the chemistry mm-hmm. of of earthing. You know, something that's like now old, and continuous yeah. with like. The, you know, strategy of grounding for where she actually already knows everybody's going to have to go is. Well,
1: it's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. brilliant. And I was recently on another podcast uh, with Prentice Hempel. He started a podcast called Finding Our Way. Mm. And I was talking about this podcast because <laughs> this is it's all looping. That's how right? we do, yeah. But one of the things I was talking and thinking about is how we think and shape of change in a U.S. capitalist context where it's all got to be so big and it's like we all have to get on the same page with each other to move to the next step. And I love the question that she asked here, which is how many pieces, right? It's actually Mm -hmm. like we won't all do this together. And that she already knows that. She already feels pretty clear. Like we are not all of a same mindset. We're not all preparing in the same way. We don't all have the same relationship to loss and to the potential futures and Mm -hmm. we will be moved. And I think about that so much right now, you know, even as we move through this period where it's like, oh, there's still COVID deniers, you know, and it's like, I could imagine those people also singing, we shall not be moved, right? right? We shall not be moved. We shall not be made to, to practice something that we still don't believe in, in spite of all evidence. And where I'm like, okay, like but you actually shall be moved. <laughs> like, and it doesn't matter whether you resist it or not, some change is coming. There's always some change coming. And this is where I feel like Lauren starts to understand like the changes that I'm going to go through, you know, and she's been picking up on this because she's like, when I'm 18, I'm out of here. The changes that I'm moving towards and going through and the way I want to orient her this, my community is not all with me. And yeah. this is an opportunity, a window inside of my grief to invite and see who can hear me, who can really hear me. Um, And so some questions for this chapter. One, I love the way Octavia writes this, that you don't have these moments of Lauren just hyper overcome with emotion about the loss of her father. Like Mm -hmm. it's, you know, we're looking for him, he's disappeared. I'm offering this sermon. I'm thinking about how to move my ideas forward. And it feels so true to the character development of Lauren that, that the way that she would grieve would not be to get lost in emotionality or to get stuck or to be still even. Like that there's a productivity and that her productivity is one of the ways that she grieves. And mm-hmm. it made me think, because um, I often think people have an idea of grief And then there's the reality of grief. And I see that productive grief more often than not, especially in our movement space where we'll go Mm. through a loss and be back to work. We'll go through a loss and immediately be trying to frame it into analysis and ideology. And so it made me want people to sort of sit with some reflection themselves. How are you in grief? How are Mm. you in loss? How do you wanna be held when you're grieving? Um, how do we let go of the assumptions that that grief is a still place that people go to or debilitation and how do we acknowledge it for some people it's an activation for some people it's a pivot for some people it's all of the above at different times for some people it's staying in denial especially when there's grief after grief after grief after grief coming down the pipe so um so i wanted to ask you that question is, do you have a sense of, like, what is your grief shape and how you want to be held in grief?
2: Yeah, that's that's really an important question because I think um, there's, a like, a lot of constant grieving going on. Mm-hmm. Um, as you see, you know, we've already just as uh, an entire country, even if we refuse to acknowledge it, you know we're experiencing so many um so much violence from our government and so many deaths and um particular at the border um particular with the children at the border this this separation of fam- like it mm-hmm. just it's it is that it, that i have spent some time you know in some deep meditation over that and then the yes. the covid situation does to know that there is there is um this sense of disposability by people in power to see it constantly on display and to see how casual, you know, uh, it's a lot of old white men <laughs> that just, yeah. they're just casting away life, um, on multiple levels. It's the life of people, but it's also the life of the planet and mm-hmm. decision makings. Mm-hmm. So I'm really grieving those things. Um, and one of the things I, uh, my practice is to like really acknowledge and write about, uh, write about it. Cause you know, we haven't actually had any circles of like how we are doing around this and acknowledging grief. And, uh, yeah. and I'm saying, when I say we, I just mean like in my close community, but mm-hmm. I am also in a community that constantly raises these issues alongside of all of the other things that we're doing and and, in the calling of spirit and in the calling of our resistance and in the calling of our everyday. And that has, that has really given me such a, a powerful window. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is. And then the grief of like, like where, what we're not getting to do like that we thought we would be doing. So there's just, and I think, there's another grief that I'm really holding and that's like I'm I'm really upset that like we and I are I'm spending energy uh, on the attacks. Yes. Like, you know, like I just I'm like, "No. No. <laughs> Why did <laughs> no. you elect this? Why did you let this man become president? Yes. Like we could be doing Something else so Something amazing, like mm-hmm. like how much time do you how many how much how long do you think we have to mm-hmm. operate under such severe systems of violence and violation against everybody, yeah. like it's you know it might be targeted towards certain groups of people, but everybody trust you're all gonna get it exactly, and i'm just i'm so i just so heartbroken, I'm like, why are you doing this like Yeah. Um, Why is this a debate? Even like, don't you want? Don't you want nice people (laughs) that care (laughs) about life? I'm like, don't you want some cool people to come up in here and say, like, you know what? There's no lead in the water. Mm -hmm.
0: You know, Mm -hmm. drink. Mm
2: -hmm. You know, you know what? School, school education for all of us in the multitude of languages and kinds of people that we are. That that is available. You know, Mm -hmm. we are not going to let the food poison you like we're not going to make money off of your illness. Like we don't actually need all of these billionaires in order to be whole like we are going to take your money back. (laughs) Yes, we are going to make sure people have. I mean, it's the list is long, but it's possible. Yeah, it really is possible. So I'm grieving the disbelief I think many of us have in living abundantly and more in alignment Mm. with the planet and that's right and then therefore electing the most insecure horrific humans that you can who are willing to destroy as much as they can in order to feel a certain kind of way about their lives as they start to exit the earth i mean well i feel that
1: too that I think of it, that alternative timeline grief, (laughs) you know, where I'm just like, I can feel the unfolding of Mm. this alternative timeline. That's like, oh, if, if we lived in a world that was guided by an indigenous relationship to earth, a tether Mm. that was intact a song line, a lineage line, what would that feel and be like? And Mm. how would I be different? How would we be different? And sometimes it really, you know, if I'm like a child around it, I will be outside or see some new beautiful thing in nature and just be moved to tears because yes. that's not where I get to focus my time and my attention um, freely. And instead, mm-hmm. often I look at these things and I'm like, how long until you two are destroyed and destroyed by my people? And, uh, you know, I feel a grief—a grief at the level of species. That, you know, if you think of white supremacy as a cancer, as a viral thing, if you think of that kind of hate and com- competitive way of being in relationship with each other in the world, then it, it feels like grieving for parts of ourselves. You know, grieving for all these people who get lost along the way of humanity into the cesspools of hatred. So I feel like that level. And then I feel like a very precise, specific. I'm a very productive griever so far in my life. Like when I have lost people that were close to me, I feel very much in the instant of, you know, I go through that like, no, no way. And then I emote and I'm able to, I'm grateful for the work I have done to be in touch with my tears, in touch with being able to cry without shame like to let something move through me in real time. Um, So there's not, you know, it's like grief is ongoing. You know, like I will regularly still pause and just cry for my grandfather who's been gone for quite some time or my grandmother who's been gone for most of my life, but I'll still stop and just feel her, her presence and her absence. And I know that there's always that sharp presence that's there, but then there's also the part of me that, Uh, You know, when I find out that someone has passed, there's also a part of me that doesn't prioritize this experience of life over the mystery that's on the other side of this experience of life. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: I don't have an assumption all the time that death is a negative step or journey. And that also feels important to how I grieve that I'm like, okay, I'm grieving the absence of this presence here that I really loved. I don't know where this person now is. It might be freaking awesome. (laughs) Like it might be a world beyond all of this oppression or it might be something else. So I don't like to assign, you know, I'm just like, that's the next step of the journey. And it comes for every single one of us. And I, I feel like death in and of itself is not the crisis. The crisis is unnecessary death. The crisis Mm -hmm. is rushed death. The crisis is, um, when people don't have agency over the lives they get to live before they have to give up life. And Mm. so right now, my ritual through COVID has been, I literally have a list that I have two lists. I have a prayer list. That's, you know, my way of prayers, which is kind of like dear Cedar, dear universe, dear clouds, (laughs) you know, like um, manifest uh, what, what this person needs. And then I have a list for once people have passed, and I have a little ancestor altar. And I include not just my own ancestors, but also the ancestors of everyone that I know or care about or love or, or even just hear about. And I found that having that practice has been really helpful. Like as soon as I hear that someone has passed, I immediately go, I ask what their name is, I add it to that list so that there's the, the constant presence of the altar is holding that person's life and their transition. And I really put an effort on how can I support the transition being a good one with my spirit, with my energy? Like, how can I say thank you, you know? So mm-hmm. I think that this is a conversation for folks to be in. It's like, what is your way of grief? And I like to be asked, you know, how are you holding that? Um, rather than how are you, or that must be so hard or, you know, other assumptions, but really just like, Oh, how are you holding that today? How are you holding Mm -hmm. that grief in this moment? Um, but I think this is another thing that community should know about each other. Like when I, if you know that you're the kind of person who like, when you lose someone big to you, it takes you a year to get back off the floor. That's important for your community to know. And, Mm -hmm. um, And that you can adapt. We can adapt. I think we do have the capacity to adapt and hold each other through all this grief. I think we have to. And um, I think it helps to be able to turn and face it directly rather than just be caught off guard when it inevitably happens that we lose someone.
2: Yes. I think also while people are reading, uh, listening to our podcast, that, you know, especially as we get started to keep moving down the road that you, um, you know, that you make some systems, mm-hmm. you know, drink some water while you're listening, have a, have a sip, you know, make sure yeah. you're breathing. Um, because this, I know when I've read this book and every time I read it, it connects to my life and my universe, like right away. It's Absolutely. just, it's not, it's, it's, it's inside of it. So, you know, as you are, as you are moving along with this like make sure that you're you're offering yourself some sustenance.
1: Yeah. I love that and I also love, you know, I see you often will light some sage and just clear <laughs> after we do a conversational moment. I have cedar that I've been doing the same thing with. Yes, honey. Um, <laughs> you know, and I just yes. find it like I keep my windows open just a sliver so that when big things, when big ancestors, when big spirit moves through me, it also has a way to move out, you know, that I can clear and then leave an open, open way. So, um, so yeah, be in that question with each other and, you know, one person to follow uh, that I, I, who I think is a grief teacher in this moment is our friend, Malkia Cyril, whose partner, Alana Devich Cyril passed away um, two plus years ago now. And, you know, this has just been a, a massive learning process for us all. Or is it two plus? Or are we coming up on two years? I think we're, well, coming, I mean,
2: up we're coming up on two, two. Up on two yeah. years and I think, October.
1: Um, yeah, I'm like the process of, you know, Malkia keeps track of the time. Malkia has gathered people into community of mm-hmm. joy, pandemic joy, um, as a practice of being like, how do we move through something like COVID as experienced grievers and inexperienced grievers? And how do we come and, and hold each other and say out loud that we are grieving, what we are grieving, what the emotional process of that is? And Malkia lets a lot of people hold that precious thing of grief and I do think it's you know I think of Brene Brown talking about vulnerability as Mm -hmm. the path towards your future and the path towards community and I feel that so much that I'm like oh when we really let people know like you know there's days when I have woken up looked at the news and just needed to take an hour to cry about the state of the world and instead of pretending that doesn't happen when I get on a call I'll name (laughs) like yeah my eyes are swollen This is a hard day to be aware and awake and, um, and to feel so ashamed of what my country is contributing to what my species
2: is having to hold in this moment. It's intense. So, yeah, I also think of, um, Alexis P. gums and, uh, I mean, a lot of her work, but I'm in particular, the, uh um marine mammal meditations which and you know there's going to be a book coming out this next year um mm-hmm. when well, we had an opportunity to collaborate because when i read what she was when she was posting them on facebook <laughs> i was like me me me, me. <laughs> you know and we yes. recorded we recorded i think i mentioned on a podcast before too that we recorded and she has this one um this this one thing uh You know, there is something called love. I would say, remember, there is something Mm -hmm. called called freedom, even if you can't see it. You know, and even here in the holding pattern, even here in the holding pattern, here in the hold, remember, remember, you are, you are named or you are held named. And that's been Uh like you know, she wrote the words and I put music to it. And I literally played a song every day. Like, uh-huh. I played is... it like somebody else, <laughs> somebody else wrote it.
1: You're like, that one song that had came through, I had loved that, that one song. song thank you, you know, Alexis. Well, I have to say, I really love that this project, that what she did around the listening to marine mammals was so crucial. And I I think you and I've talked about this, but It's the next project that's coming out as an emergent strategy book because I had the same reaction to it, which was I need this in my life in a way that I can access every day. Um, Like this seems like not insignificant wisdom that she's tapping into and Mm. facts and data that I need to know. And that seems a lot wiser than what I'm getting from others in my species. <laughs> you know, I'm just like, yeah. wait, these seals know something that I need to know. So I really love that. And maybe what we can we can foreshadow or plan or manifest is that, like, at some point we have Alexis come on and kind oh, of yeah. mammal analysi- anal- mam- <laughs> Um mammal-analyze, marine mammal-analyze what's happening in this text. And yeah. You know, just like really look at it from a different perspective. Cause she and Michaela Harris, I think, are giving us like what the whales and, and our other friends want to teach us right now. So,
2: yes, they, they are tapped in. And I think yeah. that just, I know you got more questions. You know, I always have more questions. <laughs> I know. I'm waiting for them. <laughs> but I would say that, like, even as you are listening to this, that yeah. having this under, understanding, um, from other species who have experienced collaboration with humans mm-hmm. and receiving some of this data and wisdom that's available um, really holds you in a particular kind of way in, the, in, this, in this hard time. Like I know yeah. that I am like, oh, I'm connected to something um, even bigger than myself. And it has yes. really, really helped sustain me through this particular path.
1: Oh, it's the thing it's, it's the thing. thing. It's the way through for me is I'm like if I was tied only to this moment, I don't think I would have a way through. It's only no. because I feel tied to a future you know that is um not utopian but shaped by us rather than shaped by other people who are racist and hate us and that we're just That's surviving right. <laughs> you know
2: yeah. um, you can throw some beats under this. You mm-hmm. know, like you could throw some beats under this and get yes. your step on, like, and okay. Get your step
1: on and move and just be like, you know and what? Move. Like, if we are going to ever get free, this is the way, right? Yeah. Is that the systems that we are so comfortable in that we participate in are complicit in harms that are unimaginable that we would never, you know, it's like, there's things I think of this, I'm like, I'd never do that with my own hands, but I allow it to be done with my tax dollars. Mm. And I want to get out of any system that ever makes me complicit in that kind of behavior. And yes. um, and so that actually leads to my next question, which is like, that can feel like whistling in the dark. That can feel like, right, I am trying to awaken people to something, but it's so scary that they have very good reason for wanting to stay asleep. And I think the question I have is, How do we wake people up or invite people to partner in shaping the future without incapacitating them with fear? Mm. And uh, I think we all do it. I think we're all part of it. Um, I think it's tied to another question, which is how much fear can we hold and still move, still act, how do we find balance inside of the fear, the balance with uh, joy, with co-creation, with, right? Cause I, I'm like, oh, the things that I'm scared of absolutely shape the world I wanna produce, mm-hmm. right? I wanna produce a world in which fear is not the undercurrent uh, for myself and everyone I love. So it shapes me. And I find that when I'm touring, when I'm out talking to people about pleasure activism and talking about visionary fiction, that when people show up, a lot of times they're like, give me an escape, you know, mm. like, let's just go feel good. Let's just go like, you know, dream about space cars. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is technology to help you process the fact that this is a terrifying time. Um, and it's mostly terrifying because you're not even aware of how imprisoned you are in it. And right. pleasure helps you to awaken the part of you that is like, I, I deserve to be alive outside of this fear construct.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: visionary fiction is a way to say, I deserve to shape a future in which I get to be co-responsible for what happens rather than a constant victim of someone else's imagining. But those are technologies for asking people to engage in a terrifying now and a and a somewhat terrifying tomorrow. Um, so that's a question I want to, see what you have some thoughts on which is like how do you hold fear balance in the rest and keep inviting people into awakening
2: yes i mean yo wasn't was you shook this morning when michelle obama said she's like low-key depressed i think mm-hmm. like you know i know so many people are like yo <laughs> our what? queen is depressed like <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> they're like wait
2: wait wait Oh, she is bad.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. Oh, my God. I mean, the, well, I felt a little shook in both ways. I'm like, the idea that people think that the Obamas wouldn't be low-key depressed by right. having this be the <laughs> legacy that came right behind them yeah. is bananas to me. Um, and so that, to me, was like a very... It, it just is like, that's the most logical thing and honest thing, you yes. know, that, that I could hear from her. Yeah, yes. It's,
2: yeah. It was it shook, because I think also, like, you know also what do they know like mm-hmm. that we don't even know because they've had access to so They're many. They're like the so aliens
1: are rejecting the planet,
2: yeah. And they they know all of these people, like these people, many of these people doing things were in office when when um the Obama administration was was happening. And I'm always like, no, just tell us everything, like tell us everything we need to know, like, like we just just give us all of the stuff. Um, in a certain way, like I'm becoming more released by these particular time. And so yes, um, mm-hmm. I was like, what an amazing thing to to move towards is this um idea of crumbling of this wretched infrastructure that yes. has created this country. Like I just feel I know it's not gonna be easy. I know, you know, even in our our movement, the more I you know, and I think you were like, how do you how do you wake up how do you wake people up or wake up parts of yourself Yeah,
1: keep inviting people into keep
2: inviting people look
1: mm-hmm.
2: it's always really complicated there's a there's a way you know that we we talked about this we and i and there's yes. a way like when you get to to we you know did every single person in the we say i i'm not sure yeah. <laughs> you know like <laughs> i'm not sure everybody everybody signed on and everybody signed on for <sighs> the, the same thing i'm not no. sure um, no. And we understand, like, you know, in our black liberation movements of Black Lives Matter or, again, Southern Freedom Movement and, and, and all of the movements that, you know, being inclusive of what all of our blackness is or black and brown people are um, yes. leaves out, you know, systemically leaves out certain groups because mm-hmm. it's pointed in. I think it's pointing in in, in the upkeep, step by step upkeep of the of the empire that exists. Mm. So it's like if mm. we're gonna if we're gonna gonna liberate if we're gonna be like in segregation, what the empire has is like you know this like um, heterosexual like <laughs> economic infrastructure yeah. infrastructural way of living based in like you know all of these things. So let's meet them there. And that's not all we want to do. But if we are like, we're going to meet them there, then what are you saying about women? You know, and then what are you saying about gay people? And what are you saying about, you know, what are you saying about all of us? You know, that we all need to kind of fold into this. And for the ones that we know are not, or the ones who actually don't agree. Yeah. Like, we're like, well, can you be quiet while we just try to make this step? (laughs) And, you know, sometimes that's a strategy. So I'm, I'm just... You know, please hear me. I love my I love my I love my people. Um, but like when we come into our contemporary movement and we're talking about like wake up, you know, we just we all experience, you know, that we had to say, like, okay, we're not going to talk about black trans women though, because yes. like we experience inside of the you know, uprising um centered around mm. the death of George Floyd, like this unbelievable chain of murders of black trans women. And we saw like how complicated it became for our movement to hold that and, and not just hold it by like, okay, we're going to recognize like that this happened and we're going to uplift these names and these faces and these people, but to realize like, actually do we have a capacity of inclusion, you know, so that we're not like being reactive in a moment, but Mm -hmm. that we actually have a ground, a grounding Mm -hmm. of, of all of our people. So that Mm -hmm. waking up, is continuous. It's not like a one day we're gonna be all woke at the same time. It is yeah. like a mode of transportation. It yes. it takes into account that you actually don't know everything and you actually are not covering everybody, and yes. that but that you are available to learn and you have made some room inside of your circle to understand that actually there's gonna be transformation across generations, across all of the things that can be across. Yeah. And, um, the other thing is I just say, listen to young people, you know, Mm -hmm. listen to, Mm -hmm. listen to the people who are arriving into the movement, um, in their, you know, almost their first look because they are going, Mm -hmm. they're going right at the center of what we need to go at the center of. And even if they don't have the perspective of, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, they know where we are right now. And, um. And so that's that's like, for me, that's always my wake up call. You know, when I look at young people and I look at myself, I'm like, oops, I might not be woke, as woke as I need to be for this particular moment. Let me sit inside of that and and learn.
1: Yeah. I really appreciate that. You know, something I've been really tuning into and trying to feel into the practice of is how do I invite people to look at things that are terrifying without also making the experience of being with me or being with movement also terrifying. And Mm -hmm. I think that what happens is we layer these things onto each other. So it's like if you show up half formed or with half an analysis or with a starting point of an analysis, um, then I don't want people to feel scared to say the wrong thing or scared to ask a question or scared to you know, the unraveling process of actually learning something new is a big deal. And it's already, so it's like, I'm going to be shaking you awake into a kind of a nightmare reality and what seems like a nightmare reality, because you've been in a scenario where you thought things were all good, probably because of your privilege. Like the people who are really just awakening right now are people who have had the privilege to not see
2: mm-hmm.
1: what their impact is, what they're participating in, um, The rest of folks are like, I've been knowing, I just didn't know, Mm -hmm. you know, there's just not been enough capacity or solidarity or will to do anything about it. So when that waking up happens, I'm like, how do I shake you gently awake into this, this new nightmare reality? And then how do I stay present with you? And one of the things I keep asking myself is who am I interested in waking up? And Mm. this makes me think of a different text of Octavius, which is the Xenogenesis series where her protagonist is a human who's woken up 200 years into the future post-apocalypse. And she's responsible for helping bring humans literally out of, (laughs) of deep slumber and figure out like, how do we relate to these aliens? And I'm like, I don't know. I just feel like that's very relevant in this moment. It's like, well, who do I want to awaken? Mm -hmm. And I think social media and capitalism, again, make us think I've got to awaken everyone. Everyone has to be awake and I'm responsible for that. And so I've got to be as loud as I can and as corrective as I can. Right. So we Mm -hmm. do a bunch of like, I've got to wake you up and the police, everything you say, and then be in charge of like, this is the only right analysis. I'm differently interested. I'm interested in I want to awaken the people who have been numbed into thinking that their lives don't matter, that their pleasure doesn't matter, that their imagination doesn't matter. I'm very interested in bringing those people. And when I say awake, I'm like, what I, what I, what I mean by it is I want you to awaken to your potential. Mm. And so when people are like, you know, I'm privileged, I'm a white man, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, If you awaken, that's great, you know. If you also awaken, good for you. That will serve you. But my focus is on Black women. My focus is on Black trans and non non uh, non conforming gender folks. You know, my focus is on people who are in a more fluid and less socially accepted space. Because Mm -hmm. I'm like those. that, That what's happened? What we have grown already, just on the margins of society, is so compelling. You know, I look at sex worker communities. I look at what do we awake, you know, like if you look at mainstream culture right now, sex work is all up in what makes it exciting and thrilling, you know, like we, we're we laughing because as we're recording this, we're both, you know, have WAP in our heads from Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion. And I'm like thinking about Kalani just had this new video come out and looking at Beyonce's work and other people's work and just being like, there's been this like, way of claiming what sex workers have always known, which is there is a power in in what we can do on these margins around sexuality and survival. We know that. And now that comes into the center. And there's an awakening, right? All these people waking up like, wait, having a wet ass pussy is great. You know, that's good news. I'm like, I get fascinated by those things. I'm like, what would a future look like shaped by a bunch of people who had that kind of enthusiastic embrace of their whole Mm. bodies and their arousal and their desire. I get there and I'm like, okay, it might be scary to leave this, but there could be something so delicious and lush if we awaken the right people and empower the imaginations of the right people and then learn to follow those imaginations. And I often try to think about how do I target whatever gifts I have to give towards those who... I want to learn from, right? So I'm like, I wanna learn from young people. I wanna learn from folks who who have been fat shamed. I wanna learn from those who have been slut shamed. I wanna learn from those who are living with disabilities. This, I, you mm-hmm. know, I keep thinking about how relevant that is for me as my abilities shift. I'm like, I need to learn from those folks. So in the same way we learn in nature, where it's like, let me approach this plant let me make an offer to this plant let me make an ask a request is there is there permission for me to learn from you is there permission for me to use what you have to offer me i think of that with 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 relationship too mm. it's like that i want to offer to people like you know when 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 black young queer people reach out and they're like can you do an emergent strategy thing with us i'm much more likely to be like yes let me offer you this Because I also know that I'm going to learn so much from the adaptations, you know, the way that they did it in Durham, where it was an all BIPOC space of emergent strategy practice was so much more compelling to me than, say, a foundation of, like, all white folks being like, can you come give us this training, right? I'm like, yeah, I can do, you know, I can try, but my priority is going to be these folks who I want to center their learning because I want to center learning from them.
2: So, yeah, big up Durham, too, yeah,
1: Durham forever, Durham for life. Durham I think forever. that's <laughs> one of the intimate, you know, intimate hearts of movement in this next period yeah. of time. Um, I think we're getting close to time. I had two last questions I want to name for our people. One is, how do we let faith assuage us? Period, you know, a question mark? How do we let faith assuage us? Like how do we let it comfort us? maybe calm us too much, you know, uh, what do we give over to faith? And then the second part of that question, which is really in echoing of, of how Lauren's like, I know that I wanted it to be true that we would not be moved. And I also knew that we would be. And so Mm. faith is like, we shall not be moved. And, and then what she knows to be the case is actually we shall. So I'm like, what do we do when we know, that something we're saying as a faith offering is not true. And how do we Mm. find the authenticity with our people to offer a faith that we, we deeply believe down to like our marrow. (laughs) Mm. So I think about that and I'll just say, you know, like a good example of this for me is when I'm in a protest scenario and people start yelling i believe that we will win i believe that we will win and i realized i was saying that and i was like i don't know what we're gonna win who is the weed like that you know like all this you know deconstruction's (laughs) happening in my head right i'm like well who what but (laughs) but for me to have faith to be able to speak that faithfully i have to know that for me i mean winning as I believe that we will heal our relationship with the planet and each other and that we will be able to operate in a care-based society. <laughs> right. And then when right. I think that, I believe that we will get off of the pendulum of winning, losing, winning, losing in a partisan right. scenario where we're arguing over things that shouldn't be argued about. That I can't get behind. But I right. believe that we will win by reconnecting with life, and it may mean different systems of na- nation, systems of economy, et cetera, then I can believe and then I can
2: invite people. Yeah, those are great. Those are really great questions. Yeah. Um, I have like one thing I was thinking um, today. And one is that um, during the COVID experience, um, there was like emergency, legislation across the country to keep people from being evicted from their homes. Yes. Um, And it's so many people. It's like so many people. And I just wanted to raise it inside of the context of, of parable in our conversations, especially our conversations today, because I feel that this is something we can all point to as a really significant kind of like Mm. break. really huge systemic breakdown that will, and there's so many, but this particular one, it will be one that, that no one will be able to not see that, that there will be this, you know, kind of millions of people that could possibly, um, lose their homes and kind of around the same time, you know, like just. And heading
1: into winter. And heading uh, into winter. Which I, you know, as a Detroiter, <laughs> I'm very aware all the time of like, that's one of the things our government there has has often let happen is like patterns of eviction or turning off people's heat or water in the yes. winter. And I'm like, oh, that's inhumane. But that's what we're heading into in this moment.
2: Where, and I'm wondering mm-hmm. what it would mean for us to each put our hands on this issue in the way that mm-hmm. we can. You know, yeah. whatever way that, that people can put their hands on this And I think it's everything goes, you know, writing letters and like, you know, whatever support systems are you have available in your communities. I think all hands on deck, um, to take this in and even just even see it and accept it. Some of these things that we, that are coming up for us, um, they will not be, they will not be introduced to us in a way that is digestible. But if you just know that, right, if you know the information and you are a witness then you can make the offering that you can make and all of us making the offering we can make i think will have great impact
1: i love that and i i think it's a great way to tie up this episode because it is like whether it's losing actual people family members loved ones and grieving them or losing the infrastructures that we call home it's all it's all now becoming more and more each day up to us how we hold on to each other in those yes. changes. Yes. So that's our offer of Chapter 12. This has been another episode of Octavia's Parables hosted by Toshi Regan and myself, Adrian Marie Brown. Our producer is Kat Aaron. Our show art is from Krista Franklin.
0: Music for
2: today's episode. Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan. There's a New World Coming, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, featuring the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, lead vocals by Shana Smalls, Oliver by Toshi Regan, and the song Held is written by Alexis Pauline Gums and Toshi
0: Regan.
1: Find us on Twitter at O Parables. You can sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash O Parables. We love you so much. So be it. See to it. So be it. See to it. There's a new world coming every time.